So uh, as Brennan prayed, as we, as we all know, today is uh, a very special day. So Mother's Day is an amazing day. It's uh, just the idea of what our moms do for us. Our moms do for us things that dads will never be able to do. <laughs> you know, when you get a cut or a bump or a bruise, seldomly as a dad you're running to. Because no one loves on you like your mom. And we are all blessed to have those moms in our lives. And some of us, you know, maybe we didn't have great experiences with our moms. But there's other women, too, who don't have kids, who have done a great job of stepping into that role, who, who are moms in their own right, as they just love on, on others and love on younger people. I know, um, you know Jessica even has some women in her life that she looks up to that pour into her, and that uh, I know she would consider that type of mom figure as well, besides her own mom also. So we are blessed for all of our, our moms that are in the room today. And we want to pray a special prayer over those moms. And I asked uh, the head of our leadership team, Bob Minton, um, if he would come up and pray over our moms. Because as the head of the leadership team, he has like special privileges with God. So... <laughs> We all have that special privilege with God. Amen. Normally we have moms stand up and we applaud you, but let's, take, let's turn this around a little, way, little ways. And um, mom is still in the title, but let's start out with great-grandmothers and great-grandmas. Are any of you in here that are called greats? I know of at least one. I brought her to church this morning. How about, how about just grandma? Just grandmas. Let's see you. All right, and mothers, mothers, please stand up. <laughs> and I know if you're willing, there's the future of the church. There are some mothers to be that are in here. If you're willing, <laughs> we're at least going to applaud you. And I, <laughs> You know, it's in my, my devotion this morning uh, had so many verses about mothers and your role in how God used you to develop his kingdom and is continuing to develop his kingdom, how you were to be honored and respected. And it was just so awesome. I mean, when you think about God as the, the handbook, the workbook of life, but it so emphasized mothers this morning. And we thank you for Lord, the Lord for that. So let's have a prayer for our mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and future mothers. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We knew, know every day that you give to us is a gift. And the special gift is the mothers that you have provided us over the generations and generations and generations to come. Lord, we thank you for all the mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And we ask, Lord, that on this day you would just bless them mightily. Let them feel your love and strength and courage every moment of this day, but take it on into tomorrow and continue to bless them. They deserve it, and we thank you for bringing mothers to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bob. 
So most of you have probably, uh, you've flown, right? How many people here have flown at some point in your life? You've been on an airplane. All right, good, a lot of hands. So you know that at the beginning of your flight, they give you kind of that, uh, that flight tutorial, right? You know, it's, uh, there's exits on the front and the back and the sides and, you know, all that good stuff. They show you how to hook the seatbelts. How many of you have ever gone on YouTube and you've watched the funny versions of those? Chastity has. There are some hilarious videos of people who they just, stewards and stewardess, who just take this to a next level. I was on a flight to Dallas one time and I was blessed to have that person on that flight. And I've never paid closer attention in my whole life than listening to this guy share the, uh, the order of what happens if that plane goes down. So the stewards and stewardess, they, uh, they do a good job of warning people of the potential, potential dangers of flying in their plane. Thing is, when, when we invite people to the church or we invite people to put their faith in Christ, seldomly do we approach them with the sales pitch of you're going to be mocked, ridiculed, perhaps even beaten and killed. I mean, but it'll be worth it. Who doesn't want to do this, right? Very seldomly do we even tell anybody about that aspect of living our lives for Christ. Too often we try to convince others to come to Christ, telling them that if they do, God will fix all your problems. Right? God will he'll take, care of, take care of everything. It'll be smooth sailing from here on out. I had a pastor who, uh, years ago, Apparently, all the time, people would come to him and tell him about how he needed to have conversations with one of their loved ones who was just off the rails. You need to go, to go talk to this person. And it's like, he's like, why? I don't know this person. Why are they going to listen to me? You know this person. You talk to this person. But the other thing is, we're not going to give a message of, hey, Come to know Jesus and your life's going to be perfect and simple because that's really not the way it works. And the problem is when that's our sales pitch, when we're trying to talk people into the faith by telling them how perfect everything is going to be and how they won't have any troubles, they're going to be wealthy and and have multiple uh, private jets and things like that, when that is our sales pitch, The first time something goes wrong, what do they do? They bail. Well, I wasn't told that this was going to be difficult. I was given a a bill of sale that this was everything was going to be perfect with this. And we're not preparing them for what really comes if we're following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life particularly if we're following him as Lord of our life, which means allowing him to make the decisions that we previously had been making. Oftentimes, not oftentimes, we're actually promised 
that we will go through hardships for our faith. The prophets in the Old Testament didn't shy away from this. The apostles didn't shy away from this. Jesus himself didn't shy away from telling the disciples this. In this world, you will have troubles, but do not fear, I have overcome the world, he says. But he tells them, you will have trouble. It's not smooth sailing. Today, we're going to read in 1 Peter, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. And if you want to start opening to that in your Bibles, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll see the page number up here. So unlike what we've started getting into the habit of doing in our churches, Peter doesn't sugarcoat for the church what is coming. He says in verse 13, he's talking to the church here, he says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was, to put, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you and praise you for this day. Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear what you have for us today. Calm our minds so that we can hear you speak. Prepare our hearts that your words may bear fruit in our lives. Father, I pray that you would give me your words to speak. That whatever comes out of my mouth would not be my own thoughts, but yours. And if there is anything that is not of you, Father, then I pray that it would be lost. Father, today, all we want is more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter 
in this passage is writing to people who will soon, actually already are, facing persecution. First Peter was written in uh, somewhere between 60, 60 AD and 68 AD. The persecutions of Nero began in 64 AD. So the persecutions, if this was in 60 AD, if it was written at the earliest date that it could have been written, the persecutions probably looked a little different than they would have looked at 68 AD where Christians were actually being killed for their faith. As Pastor Joe mentioned a couple weeks ago, Nero enjoyed wrapping Christians up in honey, hanging them on posts and burning them at his, his garden parties. They would light the area. The persecution at 60 AD would have looked a little more like maybe some of the persecution that we experience here in this country today. You see, around the world, there is persecution, like under Nero. All around the world, Christians are being killed for their faith. They're being dismembered for their faith, losing hands for refusing to let go of their Bible. Here in this country, we are blessed in the sense that the persecution looks a little different. Our persecution, especially more as of late, is vandalism, as our churches are more and more being vandalized, and we saw this even in Jamestown a couple months ago. Our persecution here is the slander against us, especially Christians who hold on to a traditional worldview, a biblical worldview. We get called names like bigots and hate mongers. The persecution looks like what happened in the, the NHL when there were several, well, at least four Christians. I don't want to say several. I know of four Christians in the NHL who refused to participate in the Pride Night. And one of those NHL players said, look, I don't care how people live their lives. They can live how they want to live. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I can't participate and condone this by wearing this, this, this logo you want me to wear and being a part of this uh, celebration thing. For his conscience, for following their conscience, the USA Today, major public media, major news media, wrote a scathing article Actually, it's the USA Today who shared what the player said, which I just told you, but then went into a whole, the whole rest of the article about how that is just a cover-up for their bigotry. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We know this in our church here. We love all people, no matter what we're doing, because we are all sinners in need of a God. And yet that's not what we're being, that's not what we're dealing with from the outside world who continues to slander. So whichever persecution they're facing at this point, whether they're just hearing the slander of their day, which the early slander in the very early church was that uh, these horrible Christians were cannibals because they took communion, so they ate the blood and, or drank the blood and, and ate the flesh of, of this, this person. So that was the rumor that was spread about them, that they were cannibals and you wanted to stay away from them. And then it just progressed to where finally they're just being killed. But Peter is telling the church, 
Do not be afraid of those who want to harm you. Do not be afraid of those who want to harm you. Really? (laughs) I shouldn't be afraid of these people? And he goes on to say, don't even be troubled by it. Peter is telling them, don't be upset when you're being persecuted. Now we can understand this intellectually because we're supposed to live the example Jesus lived, right? And Jesus was persecuted. He suffered the worst of persecution and death. So we can understand that we're supposed to follow his example intellectually. And over and over again, I hear people say, I know I shouldn't fear, I know I shouldn't be upset when this or that happens. And then it's usually followed with some sort of confession that, but I just haven't reached that point yet. I'm still worried, I'm still struggling. So Peter here is setting a pretty high standard for the Christians of his day that he's writing to. You're going to be killed? Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by this. But when push comes to shove, can we really stand up to the persecution the way Peter exhorts us to? And quite frankly, the way Peter himself stood up to the persecution. As when he was taken to be hung on a cross himself, he asked that he be hung upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified the same way as his Lord was. Peter lived what he was encouraging the church, how he was encouraging the church to live. So Jesus set an example for us as well. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, Jesus could do that and the disciples could do that, but, but I'm not Jesus. I'm just a normal person. I'm not an apostle. I'm just a regular person. But the point of this text is not to highlight how far we are from Jesus, but, but just the opposite. This passage hopefully will help us to grow closer to him so that we will be able to live our lives the way he lived his life. Because even today around the world, I told you there's people dying for their faith. Generally speaking, those people are given a choice. Renounce God and you can walk away but they're refusing to do so. They're living into this passage. They're not allowing fear to make their decisions. They're trusting God. How do we get to the place where they are? I want to begin by first looking at the end of this text. Peter begins to talk to the church about their, their baptisms. And uh, he talks about Noah and he says, uh, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience. So I want to slow down for one minute. I know we've had a lot of new faces in our church, uh, especially the last several weeks. So 
baptism. Most of you probably know what baptism is. That's when we take somebody who's professed a faith in Jesus Christ and we take them down to the lake and just push them in, right? That's, that's <laughs> baptism. So my pastor at my church in Westfield said, baptism's free, you get to go down for free, but it costs for me to bring you back up. <laughs> baptism is when we take the new believer and we dunk them into the water and we bring them back up, symbolizing the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a sacrament of the church. So let's talk about what a sacrament is real quick. A sacrament is an act or or a ritual that draws us nearer to God. John Wesley considered it a means of grace. And I talk all the time about the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines, which is how I was introduced to them as. Baptism in our church is one of those sacraments and communion is one of those sacraments. These are things that draw us near to God. So why is baptism significant in this discussion? Why is it in this passage? Peter talks about Noah and the ark, and I want to read to you what Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, they they have a commentary. There's just one of the commentaries on the Blue Letter Bible app. But they wrote this about this passage and about Noah and the ark. They said, Water saved Noah not of itself, but by sustaining the ark built in faith, resting on God's word. It was to him the sign and mean of a kind of regeneration of the earth. The flood was for Noah a baptism, as the passage through the Red Sea was for the Israelites. By baptism in the flood, he and his family were transferred from the old world to the new, from immediate destruction to lengthened probation, from the companionship of the wicked to communion with God, from the severing of all bonds between the creature and the creator to the privileges of the covenant as so we are by baptism as well. Noah and his family on that ark, they went through a foreshadowing of baptism. They went through the water in that ark going from the old world of corruption and wickedness to a new world where there would be a new covenant with God. And they went from the companionship of the wicked to communion with God. Noah, you must understand, was not saved by baptism. It says he wasn't saved by the water. He was saved by faith. Faith alone. Noah, when God told him to build that ark, believed God. He had faith. So he did what God called him to do. Noah obeyed. He trusted God. We don't know for sure if Noah was mocked during this time, building this ark. We kind of get the idea from a lot of, if you're watching movies and things about the Bible, oftentimes they'll have Noah being 
mocked and persecuted in a sense. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's probably a pretty fair assumption. But we need to be clear of what is in the word of God and what is not. But I am sure that it was not easy for Noah to build this ark. I'm sure it was not easy getting the animals on the ark, getting food for the journey and all the other supplies that they might have needed. But Noah continued on because he had faith in what God told him. Now again, Noah was not saved by that baptism. He was saved by faith. And we are not saved by our baptism. We are saved by faith. Noah, in faith, trusted God's word and obeyed. We, in faith, must also trust God's word and obey. And this is how we get to the point where we too can, without fear, without being troubled, stand up to the persecution that is already upon us and the persecution that is to come. It's not a surprise. We've already been warned. All we need to do now is have faith in God's promises. When we have faith, we will naturally begin the journey of those means of grace. I said that baptism draws us nearer to God. It's in my sacramental, sacrament, sacramental easy, easy for you to say, right? Sacramental theology study in one of my classes. It was interesting to hear that the, uh, the faiths, the uh, Christian churches that have more than two sacraments, most Protestant churches have two, baptism and communion. But in like some of the, the Orthodox churches and uh, the Catholic church and uh, I think the Lutheran church, they have other sacraments as well. And if you put those in a row, they kind of take us deeper and deeper and deeper into our closeness and nearness to God. We too, when we have faith, we will begin the journey of drawing closer to God through baptism, then through communion, through prayer, through the study of scripture, through confession, through fasting, through submission and service. All of those spiritual disciplines that help us to grow and mature us in our faith. It is that mature faith that will sustain us through the times of persecution. My friends, it's not coming. It's already here. You may not have experienced it yet, but it is here. Now is the time to get ready. One of the things that those airline stewards said, especially the really funny video, he goes, the book with the handbook with the information about all this stuff on the plane is in the seat above you. And he says, read it before you need it. My friends, that is the word of God. Now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to mature in our faith. And that is how we make it through our times of persecution. Then as we are going through those times of persecution, Peter tells us how we ought to respond to the persecution, to the, the people. 
He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How can we prepare to give an answer for why we live differently, why we follow Christ? And I think that right before Jesus or Peter gives that command to be ready, Peter gives us a hint on how we can be ready. In that same passage, he says, set your hearts, he says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. How can we be prepared to give an answer? We understand that whatever is first in our hearts, first in our lives, that is what we're easily going to be able to talk about. Do you know what I talk about more than anything else when I'm up here? If you've been here for an amount of time, you know the answer to this. My family. My son, who's made himself known this morning. (laughs) There is nothing I like to talk about more than my family and my children. They have a top spot in my heart. Something else that I love to talk about is this church. I've been here for 10 years, working officially at this church for 10 years. I've been involved in this church since 2008, so add another four years, so 14 years. I love this church. So it's really easy for me to sit down with somebody. And when we're talking, I naturally, a a comfort zone is to start talking about what's going on here. And in some of your lives, watching God work in you guys is amazing. And I love to talk about that stuff because this church holds a high place here. A third thing that holds a high place here normally is God. And normally, I like to talk about God. But the reason I said the third thing is because the first thing to slip away tends to be God. Sadly, during football season, when we start our fantasy football league, and that's what I'm studying, I'm studying who I'm going to draft and all the stats and the teams. I'm watching every game. I'm listening to a sports station, guess what slips away? And guess what becomes easier to talk about? Football. Because that takes the place, that third spot in my heart where God is. And I don't say that with pride, I say that as something that I'm working on. Football season, it's already, we had the draft, so I'm already thinking it's coming. How am I gonna correct this this year? There was a time I gave up football for 10 years because after the Bills lost their third Super Bowl, (laughs) you laugh. (laughs) I was watching that game and I was a brand new Christian. I'd been a Christian for about a year and I was so angry. And I said, I can't be like this as a Christian. Nothing should have this impact on my life. And I literally, I didn't watch football for 10 years. 
And now we're looking at what's the next step so that God will always be in the top three in my heart that I'm talking about all the time. How do we be prepared to give an answer? We make sure that God is first in our hearts, like Peter says. You know, it's interesting because Jesus set the example for us. He put our Heavenly Father first in his heart. Luke 2 tells us that when he was only 12 years old, they were in Jerusalem for uh, the festival, and um, as the festival was over, his parents were leaving, and Jesus, only 12 years old, he slips away from his parents, and his parents are naturally distraught because they're starting to head home, and if you've ever left your kid in the store or the church, you... uh, You know the feeling you get, like, I am a horrible parent. Where is my kid? So they go back to Jerusalem to look for him, and they find him in the temple. And in Luke 2, 46, it tells us what Jesus was doing. It says he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. His parents upset, and he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And then in verse 52, at the end of this whole scenario, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. My friends, this is how we grow in our understanding of God also, so that we will always be ready to give an answer for our hope. Then once we know the answers, then we have to look at how do we share the answers. Because Peter in this passage tells us to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. As we are learning and we are growing in our faith and we we start to be able to share that with other people, the question is how do we share? We share with gentleness and respect. Oftentimes in this church, we talk all the time, actually, about how truth matters. That's why we hold up the word of God all the time, because truth matters. Not something we've created in our mind, but the truth matters. But what also matters is how we present the truth. Several months ago, I shared about Polycarp, who was a disciple of Peter. And when, I believe it was Domitian, Emperor Domitian, who came to get, well, he sent his soldiers to go get Polycarp. And Polycarp knew he was coming. His friends tried to get him out of the city, but he said, no, God wants me here. It's time. And when the soldiers came to the house, they knocked on the door. A girl answers, And they ask for Polycarp, and he comes down, and he says, why are you here? And they say, we're going to take you in. Polycarp says, that's fine. I'll be right with you. He says, just if you would give me one hour to pray. He said, we'll feed you. We'll take care of you. So they said, okay. So they prepare a meal for the soldiers who are about to take him to his death. And Polycarp goes up to a room and he prays and he just spends that time with God to pray for strength. 
And when he comes down, he again just talks to the soldiers with gentleness and respect to the point where the soldiers don't even want to take him in. They say, why are we doing this? But if they don't take him in, it's going to be them who are killed. Polycarp leaves and goes with them, gently and respectfully walking to his death. That is how we respond to persecution. 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul tells us, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And Solomon in Proverbs 15 wrote, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. As we're talking about how we respond to persecution, let's talk about how we respond and share our faith with unbelievers as well. You may not believe this, but uh, holding up signs to tell people how horrible they are and how they're going to hell may not be the best way to share the gospel message. Just throwing that out there. The best way is to just start the conversation. I was listening to a podcast and it was called Meeting Transgenderism with Grace. And there was a Catholic, uh, I think it was a Catholic priest, but it was a Catholic podcast. The guy was Catholic. He goes around the world speaking on transgenderism in the church. And he doesn't hold back on what God's word says. But what he does do is he talks to people first and gets to know them. Several times when he's gone to speak in different places, uh, Ireland was one of them where the entire half of the school was going to walk out before, it, before he got finished. And they got word of this ahead of time and they told him this was going to happen and he says, well, I'll tell you what, what if I start with the transgenderism part? Will you be okay with that? And the principal says, look, if you think that's going to help, Fine. <laughs> He gets up there and he starts sharing the way he always does, loving on the students. Not one person left that assembly. And afterwards, this whole group who that's what they were dealing with came up and wanted to spend time with him after, talking to him, getting their pictures with him, he said. And he said he just made this great connection. He said, when we are witnessing to people, This was about transgenderism. This is true of anything because we all struggle with sin, right? This is true of any sin. He says, first, just talk to people. Hear their story. Let's use gentleness and grace to reach the lost. We have a friend at this church and he's told me I'm allowed to share his testimony anytime I can share about him. Um, and it's, it's Dave, so many of you probably know Dave. Dave credits this church with getting him back on track with God. Because through his struggles, he was not judged by this church. He was not mistreated by this church. He was simply loved on. And even in his lowest moments, this church kept reaching out to him. And that 
is what brought him back to a faith in Jesus Christ. To where he's now doing videos on YouTube sharing his struggle and how God has brought him through this. We don't have to condone what people are doing to love them and talk to them. I wish that I could say that I always respond with gentleness and respect, but sadly that hasn't always been the case. But I'll tell you, when I have and when I do, the results are always much better. And we want those good results so that when people talk about us, as Peter says, if they talk maliciously about us, they will be ashamed of themselves for slandering us because they will know the way that we have loved on them. And it's good to hear what I'm about to share, though sometimes it's kind of a a double-edged sword. But when somebody complains about the church as a whole, oftentimes what they'll say to me is that I know that you guys don't do that. I know that Bemis doesn't do that. And I am so proud of this church for that reason. We have had so many walk through these doors who have had struggles and we have simply loved on those people. And kudos to all of you who have been a part of that. Like I say, it's a double-edged sword because I wish the entire church was being talked about like that. But at the very least, we can start here. So faith in God will help us through the trials. Making him Lord will help us to learn those questions, to help us through those questions. And trusting in his promises will help us to endure. Noah was on that ark for 365 to 377 days, depending on who you read. And I imagine that he got pretty discouraged at different times on that ark. You're in an ark, you're completely enclosed because there's a storm all around you. It's not like you have the sunrise and sunset to count down the days. It's just always the same inside the ark. So that one month, that 40 days of rain probably seemed like an eternity. I imagine it was easy to get discouraged and say, how long, how much longer, Lord? But God told him something in Genesis 6. He said, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God made a promise to Noah. And Noah trusted that promise. He trusted that they were going to be brought through the storm. God has made a promise to you. Peter tells us in that passage, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God The same Jesus Christ has, Peter said, has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. My friends, Jesus died.
for you to bring you to the Father. John 16, 33, as I told you at the beginning, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Believe the promises of Jesus and he will bring you through any and every trial. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, again, I can't thank you enough for blessing us with the mothers that we have here, both our physical moms, but also those who become our spiritual moms. Lord, I thank you for what you've been doing in this church, that we have been able to be an example for so many people. I thank you for the testimonies that we hear week in and week out of the way you're working. And Father, today I pray that as we go out of here, that we will take away whatever it is you have spoken to each one of us, and we will put that into practice this week, that next week we will have more testimonies to share. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.